Thanks, Ed, for leading us. <clears throat> Terry will come up in a few moments, but we're going to have our Bible reading before then. And if you want to pick up a church Bible, it will be in the Bible, which is good to know when we're doing a Bible reading. And it's on page 1111. If you want to turn to page 1111, and it is Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to start at verse 6, and I'm going to read through to verse 31. So Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thracia, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High God who, we are, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customers unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners, were, other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Thank you. Terry, do come up. You're on your way. Well done. I'll pray for you. Then I'll leave it to you. Thank you so much. Father God, we thank you so much that we can read your word, we can pray, we can worship, and then we can listen to what you would have us here today from the voice of Terry. We pray for Terry. Thank you for the preparation he's put into this. We pray that as you speak to us, you'll speak to him, and together we will learn something new of your grace and your goodness and your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to have this opportunity to share things with you that are on my mind. It's good this morning to have Andy and Elaine here with us as well. Uh, they're here today. Lovely to see you both. You're very welcome. Are you doing all right? You're enjoying life? Great. Good to see you. Lovely to have this opportunity to, to speak with you this morning. You know, one of the things that, that I always think about is the need to communicate. And I suppose the strength of any relationship, really, is communication. Would you agree with that? The need to communicate. And this was obviously a major thing with Paul and his colleagues, this need to communicate when they, they needed to do the things that God had called them to do. And so Paul receives communication from God as well. God communicates with us day by day. And we need constantly to be in prayer. I'm so glad that Ed read that, read that particular passage because it talks about prayer. And it talks about people praying for us individually. And I suppose most of us here gathered here this morning are people who know and have accepted Jesus to be their own personal Saviour and Lord. Most of us. I don't know everyone here, but I would know that a lot of people here this morning know and have accepted Jesus to be their Saviour. And when we accept Jesus at a personal, individual level, you can be pretty sure that someone will have been praying for you at an individual level. I know that is certainly true in my own case, because I had a very dear aunt, a lovely Christian lady of whom I was very fond, and I know that day by day she prayed for me. And on the day that I actually became a Christian, when I awoke that particular morning, I didn't even realize what was going on. And by the time I went to bed that evening, I had accepted Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And in our Bible reading this morning, we read about the man of Macedonia and the vision that Paul received from him, the way in which eventually he finishes up in Philippi. And when people pray, and when they communicate with God, amazing things sometimes happen. And we read in our scripture that Paul and his colleagues, that Silas, Timothy, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. It's so important that we go where God needs us to be that he places us in the place where he wants us to actually serve him. And during the night, Paul had a vision of the man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And so Paul and his colleagues were absolutely obedient to this calling of God, the importance of being in the place where God wants us to be. And so if we read on a bit, we read about this lady called Lydia, and we read that from Troas, the, these colleagues put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. From there, we traveled to Philippi, and it was at Philippi where great things happened. Now, there seems to have been no synagogue in Philippi, and that is probably the place that Paul and Silas and his colleagues would have made for, to actually pray within the synagogue. But it doesn't say anything about a synagogue, but there was, in fact, a place of prayer. And Paul and Silas had expected there would be, which was just a mile outside of the city gate, was this place of prayer. It may have been an enclosure of some sort, or just an open-air site, but it was close to the small river, the Ganges, and Philippi was a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and Paul and Silas stayed there for several days. But their urgent desire was to communicate with God, and Luke implies that this congregation consisted of women. It is usually assumed that this explains the non-existence of a synagogue because a quorum of 10 men was necessary before a synagogue could be instituted. There had to be a quorum of 10 men before they could actually have a synagogue, before it could be constituted. Paul and his friends joined the women for worship on the Sabbath and sat down waiting to be invited to speak. So you've got a lovely situation here. You've got Paul and Silas Timothy and Luke joining with these women in a time of prayer. And I would imagine that this is probably one of the forerunners of house groups. They met together. There was no church, there was no building, nothing like that at all. But there was indeed a place of prayer. And they invited Paul to speak. And Paul already, if we just read back, um, it says here, when he received the vision... From the man of Macedonia, it was concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that was Paul's priority, to actually preach the gospel. He believed in it. He had had the most remarkable transformation from the type of man that he had once been into the Christian that he became, planting churches, preaching the gospel, drawing alongside people being flogged, being imprisoned, and all of these things were part of Paul's life. But here, he joins with these women at the place of prayer, and he preaches the gospel because they invited him to do so. He was invited to speak. And one of the women named Lydia came from Thyatira, which was situated by the Hermas Valley on the other side of the Aegean within provincial Asia. This area had been the ancient kingdom of Lydia. And it's just possible that Lydia was not so much her personal name as her trade name. She was a businesswoman. She was a dealer in cloth and dyeing. She may have been known as the Lydian lady. That's possible as well. Thyatira had been famed for its dyes for centuries. And its early inscription refers to a guild of dyers within the town. That was their business. That's what they were about. And Lydia herself, Lydia herself specialised in cloth treated with an expensive purple dye. And it was presumably 
the Macedonian agent of a Thyatiran manufacturer. She was also a worshipper of God. She was there at the place of prayer with the other women and they were worshipping God. But Paul had a message to preach to them. He actually preached the gospel. And as Lydia listened to Paul's message, the Lord opened her heart. You know, I love that, the way in which the Lord opened her heart. We don't know what she was like spiritually before, but she obviously had the urgent desire to pray. But then she heard Paul preaching. She heard the gospel. She heard about Jesus. She heard that he can enter into the life of anyone who believes in him. And she opened her heart to the Lord Jesus when she received this message. She opened her inner eyes to see the message that Paul proclaimed. And we note that although the message was Paul's, the saving initiative was God's, and it was Paul's privilege to be used by God amongst these women. And so Lydia, this businesswoman, opens her heart to the Lord Jesus and accepts him to be her saviour and Lord. But not only her, Lydia and the members of her household were baptised, and the household is likely to have included her servants and possibly her children. Lydia then invited Paul and his companions into her house. Isn't it wonderful when somebody becomes a Christian, when someone accepts Jesus to be their saviour and Lord, and then you see evidence of it. And in this situation, you see evidence here. Lydia opens her heart, and I love that statement, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she invites these guys into her home and provides them with hospitality. And they accepted that. And she was extremely persuasive. So we've got Lydia, the businesswoman, accepting Jesus. An amazing thing. And all of this comes about because of the communication that Paul and his colleagues had with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God himself. And we read on. Paul and Silas. On another Sabbath day, again we read that Paul and his friends were actually going to the place of prayer yet again. Their insistence on communicating with God and listening to what God had to say to them and following his leading. Wherever he led them, they were able to go and to follow his leading. And so on another Sabbath, Paul and his friends were going to the place of prayer. They were met by a slave girl. We've already talked about Lydia, the businesswoman, who came to a saving knowledge in Christ, who opened her heart to the Lord Jesus. Now we've got a, a totally different type of person that Paul and Silas came into contact with. And Luke tells us two things about this slave girl who evidently stood in their way. She obviously knew about Paul and Silas. She knew that they were preachers. She knew that they were teachers of the gospel. She knew all of these things. And I, I talked to a lot of people in my life, certainly when I was a chaplain in Norwich Prison. One of the things that I loved to do was just to have people into the chapel for coffee. I'm a great believer in friendship evangelism, just chatting to people over coffee and listening to them and just enjoying time with people. 
because in those situations I find that the Lord provides opportunity to talk to them about our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on this occasion, we've got Paul and his friends again going to the place of prayer because that was their priority, to communicate with God. Their other priority was to preach the gospel and this is why they had been sent to Philippi. And Luke tells us two things about this slave girl. First of all, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was, in other words, a fortune teller. She had a spirit of a python or a python spirit. The reference is to the snake of a classical mythology which guarded the temple of Apollo and the Delphic oracle at Mount Parnassus. The second thing he tells us is that as a slave, she was exploited by her owners for whom she made a lot of money in fortune telling. Her owners exploited her. She was a slave. She was beholden to her owners and she earned them a great deal of money. Paul and his friends continued their walk. The girl followed them screaming. These men are servants of the Most High God. So she knew about them, but she didn't know them. And you meet many people like that who know about God. You talk to people. I mean, I, 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 I'm a, one of the chaplains of Broxham Football Club. And uh, I do some silly things, really. I go on the away trips. I get on the coach. Uh, and if we've got an evening match somewhere down in Essex, we finish up back in Norwich about half past one in the morning. Sounds ridiculous, but that's what happens. But in these situations, you get opportunities of talking to people on a coach. I'm able to talk to the players. People know where I come from. And if we've lost, they'll say things to me like, you didn't pray very well today, Terry, we've lost the game. If we've won, they'll say, well prayed, as well as well played, and all of these things. But there's a guy that I often sit by, he's 90 years of age, and he's the grandfather of one of the players. And he talks to me about football. He loves his football and he loves to come to these matches. And at 90 years of age, he's quite a bit older than me, we finish up back in Norwich about half past one in the morning. But he said to me one day when we were talking on the coach, you're a chaplain, aren't you? You must be religious. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to me, well, I say my prayers every night. So I answer, well, do you know God? Well, I pray. But so many people pray without knowing the God to whom they're praying. And maybe Lydia was like that. Because we read in the scriptures that she was a worshipper of God. And then we read that she opened her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second person that Paul and Silas meet with is this slave girl who knew that they were servants of the Most High God. That's how she describes them. She knew the word salvation. And salvation was a popular topic of conversation in those days, even if it meant different things to different people. The girl shrieked, she shrieked at Paul and Silas. She barred their way as they walked through the marketplace 
And this went on for many days. And finally, Paul was provoked to take action. He was troubled, Luke says, which certainly means that he was deeply disturbed. He was grieved. He was indignant. He cared about the poor girl who was the slave, who was being used by unscrupulous owners because she had the ability, apparently, to be able to tell fortunes. And Paul's distress led him to turn round and command that the evil spirit that possessed her came out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out, he says. And immediately he did. Although Luke does not explicitly refer to either her conversion or her baptism, he doesn't actually refer to those things. The fact that her deliverance took place between the conversions of Lydia and the jailer, who we'll come on to in a moment, leads people to infer that she became a member of the Philippian church. We don't know about that, but it's likely. And because of their troubles, we read that Paul and Silas finish up in jail. The deliverance of the slave girl was too much for her owners, however, who realised that if the evil spirit had gone out of her, their hope of making money was gone. When Paul exercised the spirit that possessed her, he exercised the source of their income as well, and their fury had some very unpleasant consequences for the missionaries, and especially Paul and Silas. Because when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Can you imagine it? Stripped and beaten for something like this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, at most prisons, they've got an inner cell. It's called the segregation unit, or in some language, it's called the chokey. And this is where some of the most notorious of prisoners, people that cause trouble, people go there often to be punished or to be segregated from the mainstream of prison. And I used to have to visit the segregation unit every day and talk to the prisoners just to make sure they were okay, was there any need that they had, that type of thing. And I can remember once going into this, into this segregation unit and seeing one of the officers who was quite a strong, powerful officer. There he was talking to the men and he was having a really hard time from some of the prisoners. They can give you a very hard time sometimes when you're in prison. I got to know this prison officer very well because one of the things that was evident to me that when you're a prison chaplain, you're not only a, prisoner, a chaplain to the prisoners, you're also a chaplain to the staff as well because they have the same sort of difficulties and problems that, that any of us have. You know, you, you, get, 
you've got problems and you've got difficulties among the staff and they need somebody from a neutral sort of position to talk to. And the Roman jailer was probably a Roman soldier, hand-picked for the job, a tough guy, somebody that you wouldn't like to meet on a dark night, someone with whom you wouldn't feel that you could pick an argument with, somebody like that. And this particular officer that I knew well, who was a segregation officer, was a bit like that, hand-picked for the job. You wouldn't want to pick an argument with him. He was a good officer. But one morning, when I arrived at work at about 8.30 in the morning, there was this officer sitting in the chapel in absolute tears. I couldn't believe it. I had to sit down myself and think, what on earth is wrong? So I went up to him and I said, Dave, what's the matter? Why are you here? Why are you in this sort of condition? And what had happened was, he was in the habit when he was off duty of going and visiting an uncle in his own home. They would have coffee together. They'd have a time together. They'd have an opportunity to chat. And the previous Saturday, Dave had gone to meet with his uncle and found that his uncle had passed away and there he was sitting in his chair dead. And Dave was extremely upset about this because he was very fond of his uncle. So he came into the chapel the following Monday, uh, Monday morning to pay his respects and I had the opportunity to meet with him. Says to me, Terry, do you believe there's a God? I was able to share my testimony with him. And we had a time together for about an hour. Dave says, please, Terry, will you take uncle's funeral service for me? And it was my opportunity to talk to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepted a new testimony from me. And I see him occasionally. The place to meet all these people is in the coffee lounge at Tesco's. That's where I meet such people. Costa Coffee, I love that. And every Saturday morning I'm to be found that's one of my temptations. A sausage bap and a muffin and a <laughs> cappuccino coffee and all that sort of stuff and a chat with whoever's around, and I saw Dave in there one day. He said, Terry, thank you for telling me about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting the people that you meet when you go into such surroundings as a prison. The owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. So they dragged Paul and Silas into prison. What did Paul and Silas do? Again, they recognize the need to communicate with God. And this prison, I mean, they're in the inner cell. Their feet are fastened. They are shackled. They can't move. Nothing like that at all. And these prisons in those days would not be like the prisons of today. They would have been damp, cold, filthy, vermin-infested, things like that. And there are Paul and Silas, within these conditions, singing hymns and praising God because they believed in him. 
and they believed that they'd been put into that prison for a purpose. And there they were, singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You never know what happens when you talk to people. I've already said that one of the things I love doing is just chatting to people over a coffee. And it's interesting the people that you meet when you work in a prison. And I can remember having a lot to do with a young man called Darren. Now, Darren was one of these people who never had a particularly long sentence, but he was one of these people who was in and out of prison all the time. Every few months he'd be out, and then he'd come back again. And one day he said to me, um, you know, Terry, can I come and see you? So I used to invite him in, and he used to come in for a coffee and a chat about once a week. Uh, he'd knock on the door, I'd let him in. We'd have a coffee, a biscuit, and a chat, and that was great. But one day he came in, and he knocked on the door, and it was, it was Darren for his time to speak to me as usual. I invited him in, I said, would you like a coffee? No, he said, I want to talk to you. So I sat him down, and he said, I said, what's on your mind? He said, I want you to pray for me. Would you pray for me? I said, well, yeah. I said, how would you like me to pray? So he said, well, I'm going before the judge on Thursday. Will you pray that I will receive a lenient sentence? So I said, no, I won't. I said, what I'll pray for you is that you receive something that's absolutely just and right for whatever it is you're going to see the judge about. I said, will that do for you? Yeah, I said, he's supposed to. He wasn't too impressed with that. But off he went. He went to see the judge the following Thursday. On Friday, he turns up at the chapel, knocking on the door. It was my day off. One of my colleagues answered the door to him and let him in. Is Terry here? No, he said. Uh, my colleague said, no, Terry's day off. Prisoner said, well, he said, I want to see him. And the uh, colleague said, well, why is that? Well, Terry prayed for me that I'd get a fair and just sentence. I thought I was going to get three years, and I've got two. So he regarded that as an answer to prayer. When Darren was released from prison, I lost touch with him for a while. But then there was an occasion when, for some reason or other, I found myself in the cathedral. I went in there, it was a service of some sort. I can't even remember what it was now, but I just happened to be there. And who should I bump into right away was Darren. I want to see you, Terry, great to see you. I said, what's happened? He said, I've become a Christian. He said, you used to talk to me about Jesus. Now I know him. The difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing them. There's a massive difference there. Lydia worshipped God. Lydia knew about God. The slave girl knew about Paul and Silas, these men talking about salvation and all that sort of... She knew about them. And eventually we believe that she came to know about God. Not every time are we successful when we talk to people about the Lord. 
doesn't always work out. But you never know what happens in the long run. And talking about the Lord and meeting with people is never, ever time wasted. I used to love just meeting with people. One day, prison officer rings up. Terry, we've got a guy here who's depressed. He won't say anything. He won't talk to us. He won't eat his food. Please, will you see him? Can we bring him into the, into the chapel for a chat? Give him a cup of coffee. So I said, yeah, okay, bring him in. Prison officer brings him in. He sits on a chair. All he did for about 20 minutes was look at the floor. I couldn't get a word out of him. I did my best. I talked to him, asked him a few questions, asked him about his family and things like that. No response. And I'm getting a bit fed up with this, quite frankly, and a bit desperate. So in the end, I just said to him, look, I said, is there any one thing in this earth, on this, in this world, that interests you? Is there anything at all that you'd like to talk to me about? Any subject? Is it football? Is it cricket? Is it sport? Is it politics? Or whatever? He, I could see him thinking. I could see the brain cogs ticking over. And then suddenly he looked up at me and he said, snakes. I thought, snakes? What on earth do I know about snakes? Absolutely nothing. I know nothing at all about snakes. And then I had a brilliant idea. I do occasionally. Jill will tell you, occasionally I get a good idea. So I rang up the prison librarian. And I said, have you got any information about snakes? Terry, I've got a brochure here with some beautiful pictures of snakes. I said, could you bring them round to the chapel straight away? And he brings them in. Yes. I gave them to the guy. Absolutely delighted. Might only seem a small thing, but it worked. And from then on, because I'd given him, I'd taken the trouble to find out and to provide him with a brochure that told you everything you needed to know about snakes. I didn't read it myself. It built up a relationship. It meant that I could talk to him. I was able to share my own Christian testimony with him. And so at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, an act of God, I believe, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's changed camps. Can you imagine that? The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison was open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And I can understand him doing that because a prison governor's biggest nightmare is should anybody escape? That's a very serious thing that happens if anybody escapes from a prison. And I think that the jailer must have felt that he was likely to be executed anyway if the authorities found that the prisoners had escaped. So he draws his sword and is about to kill himself. But Paul and Silas shout, but Paul shouts at him, don't harm yourself, 
were all here, and the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, respectfully, he asks them, what must I do to be saved? So many people think, imagine that they can earn their salvation. People talk to me, what must I do? Do I need to live a good life? Do I need to be helpful? Do I need to be kind? All of these things, which are Christian principles. But they just said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of the others within his house. And again, you see evidence of salvation that came upon the jailer. He heals their wounds. He gives them treatment. He invites them to his home. Lydia, not only did she open her heart to the Lord Jesus, she opened her home. And the jailer at Philippi heals their wounds. He provides them with some medical treatment. And then he invites them to his home. So what do we have this morning? A businesswoman called Lydia, a very intelligent woman who opens her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a slave girl who obviously knew about these men but had an evil spirit within her that Paul calls out in the name of the Lord Jesus. She probably became a member of the Philippian church. We would imagine that is what happened. So you've got Lydia, the slave girl, and then you've got the jailer. Three totally different characters. But we proclaim a gospel that is for everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your parents are like. Doesn't matter about anything like that. It's a personal thing. And Paul and Silas, so Paul and, yeah, Paul and Silas were in constant communion with God because they felt the need for prayer. Now, I feel a bit of a substitute this morning, and I have done for the last couple of weeks with funeral services that I've conducted, and here I am this morning standing in because Tom's gone with the young people, and rightly so, and that's a tremendous thing that they're doing. But in English football, up until 1965, there was no such thing as substitutes. And then in 1965, substitutes were introduced into the English Football League. And the very first substitute ever to run onto an English football field as a substitute was a man called Keith Peacock, who played football for Charlton Athletic. His son is a lovely, committed Christian, Gavin Peacock, who is now the minister of a church somewhere in Canada. Now we have substitutes. 
But the biggest and the most wonderful substitute of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Substitute. Because he took your place and mine on Calvary's cross. He rose from the dead. He is available today. Now, I don't know all of you who are here this morning, but if there's just somebody who wants to know more about the Lord Jesus, if there's somebody who wants to take me up on anything that I might have said this morning, there'll be people from the prayer team at the front here following the morning service. Please come and see us. Come and talk to us. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? The answer was simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only him, but he and his household. Same thing happened to Lydia. And after all of this that had happened to Paul and Silas and his friends, eventually they were released. What did they do? They went straight back to Lydia and received more of her hospitality. This morning in NCBC, we worship a wonderful saviour who can save to the uttermost. I just hope and pray that that's your experience this morning, because if it is, you will know such things as peace and joy and love, because you will be able to serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is available all of the time for each one of us. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. Thank you.
together. Father God, thank you so much that um, we can approach your throne and claim that crown. In this week of coronation, we can claim the crown our own because we can say that we believe in you and we will be saved. Thank you for the words we've heard this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the prayers and praise that has been offered. Pray that it will be acceptable to you. We know that it will be, and we know that you will love us and you'll bless us during this week. So thank you, our Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, as you sit down and make yourself comfortable, tea and coffee out the back there. People will pray with you. They'll be happy to. Terry would love to talk to you as well. And there's another service here at five o'clock if you want to come. It'll be in Portuguese, but don't let that put you off. Um, If you're not here at five o'clock, see you next week.